Hey, welcome to season three of the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. My name is Fernie, and I'm the pastor at Mid-City Church, and I'm so excited that you are joining us for this season. Uh, if you're listening to this, you're either in one of our small groups or you've heard about this podcast, and my hope, uh, either way, my hope is that this uh, podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith uh, and will help you ask questions that maybe you've never asked before, and most importantly, will, encu- will encourage you uh, and inspire you to help bring about heaven here on earth. And so uh, I just want to thank you again for joining us and get ready because here we go. One of the most harmful things that I've ever done to myself is to allow myself to believe that my success and my effectiveness is measured by how big and how fast the things that I create grow. So let me give you an example of what I mean. For Ash Wednesday in 2022, we gave out a bunch of little pots with soil and seeds and even a little plastic shovel. And the whole idea was that we would all plant our seeds and by Easter, everybody would have a pot full of flowers. And it was just like little two inch pot. Well, within a couple of weeks, I had convinced myself that I was a horrible gardener because a lot of you, a lot of people were posting pictures of their pots and the flowers were blooming and mine had nothing. In fact, Easter came and went and none of the seeds ever sprouted. Now, through that season, I convinced myself that because my flower pot didn't produce growth, then surely I'm ineffective at growing plants. Right? I allowed my effectiveness to be measured by growth and took nothing else into account. And since then, I'll be honest, I haven't tried to grow anything else because after all, based on these numbers, I am ineffective. Now, here's the problem with this kind of thinking. Measuring my effectiveness as a gardener based on how many flowers grew that one time in this little pot doesn't take anything else into account. Right? It doesn't keep in mind that most of the flower pots never produced anything, right? Most people didn't get any flowers because I think in reality they were too small. It also doesn't keep in mind that there, that there could have been something wrong with the seeds. And most importantly, it doesn't keep in mind that even though my flowers didn't grow, my faith and the faith of those around me did grow through that simple experiment. See, so many times we measure effectiveness by growth, specifically numerical growth. And I get it. In 2023, numerical growth has become the main metric of success for almost every industry. Did you you make more money than last year? Did you increase the square footage of your building or your house? Did you bring in more clients? Did you convert more leads than you did last year? Did you sell more homes or cars than everyone else? Did you get a pay raise? Did your grades improve? And if you're under the age of 25, did you make more friends than last year? Numerical growth is the metric that we have been told over and over again is the way that we can see whether someone or something is successful or not. In fact, it's pretty much the only way we know how to measure effectiveness. But does this type of measurement alone really tell us whether something is effective or not? So just think about it. Let me share a story with you. I worked for a pastor once who offered to buy a brand new iPad to whoever invited the most people to Wednesday night dinner. And it worked. The dining room was packed every single week. 
But just because there were more people in the room, did that truly mean that the church was effective and successful at bringing in people? Or did it mean that people really wanted an iPad? You see what I'm saying? If we truly analyze things, numerical growth technically does show growth. But should numerical growth be the number one metric that we use to measure effectiveness? And I want you to think about it through the church lens as well. Should the effectiveness of our small groups be measured by growing attendance alone? Should the effectiveness of our missions be measured by increased participation alone? Should the success and effectiveness of what we do to bring about heaven rely on numerical growth alone? So this summer, I decided to dive into that question and try to figure out what the Bible says about how to measure the effectiveness, in our case, the effectiveness of a church, but also uh, your effectiveness as a person, our effectiveness as people, as co-workers, as, as co-laborers, as, as, as whoever and however we identify, how do we measure our own effectiveness? And in order to do this, I dove into the book of Acts. Now, if you've never read the book of Acts, a very simple explanation of what this book is about is that it really tells us about the beginning of the early church and the struggles that the early church faced in its days, in its early days. And when we started talking about planting mid-city, every single person, every single church planter that I talked to, they would tell me to read the book of Acts to help us develop every aspect of the church. And so I did. One of the things I did early on was look up all the places in the book of Acts where we were told that the church grew in numbers, right? Because I needed, we needed to imitate them. And so I tried to figure out what they did that led to their growth. And then I started to think of ways that we could implement their actions in our community in hopes that we too would experience the same type of growth that the early church experienced. And even though we implemented all of those ideas, and, and really well, I might add, we didn't have thousands of people packing our, our gatherings like the early church did. So did that mean we were an ineffective church because we weren't busting at the seams? Did that mean that, uh, did that, mean that, that we just should just quit and, and stop trying because we didn't grow like we thought we would? Now, before we go any further, let me stop here for a second and ask you, when in your life have you measured your own effectiveness based solely on numerical growth, based solely on numbers alone? Did those numbers paint a full picture of what was happening? My guess is that your answer, at least to the third question, is no. Sometimes it does. Sometimes uh, numerical growth uh, does. But if numerical growth is the only thing that we use to measure effectiveness, my hunch is that you and I will always either fall short or eventually plateau because we can no longer think of creative ways to continue that growth, right? Now, when I realized this, I decided to dive back into scripture, thinking that maybe I was missing something. And one day after years of, of praying about this, it suddenly became clear to me that the effectiveness of the early church was not measured by its numerical growth alone, although it did happen, but it was measured by so much more. See, over and over again, it suddenly became clear to me that while the numerical growth was a marker, it was there, growth was usually the last thing that the church used to measure effectiveness. In fact, there were so many other metrics that the early church was using to measure its effectiveness before numbers and growth even came into the equation. 
In, in fact, if we pay attention through the book of Acts, uh, we find a pattern that we're told about uh, the effectiveness of the early church. So here's what the pattern is. It says the church hears the good news of Jesus. Then the church modifies their life accordingly. Then the world experiences a glimpse of heaven. And then, oh yeah, they experience numerical growth, right? Other stuff happens before the numerical growth ever takes place. And over and over again, we see this pattern throughout the book of Acts. And I have to tell you, the moment this pattern became clear to me, my whole understanding of what it means to effectively bring about heaven on earth changed, and I think changed for the better. So that's what these next four weeks are going to be about. We're going to be diving into the different metrics that the early church used to measure its effectiveness. And my hope is that these metrics will help us and encourage us as we work towards bringing about heaven on earth through large groups, small groups, and service to the world around us. Now, before we get started, let me just say, uh, let me just throw this caveat out there for you skeptics. Numbers do matter. They are important. I'm not denying that, and I get that. But I believe that if we dive into the other metrics that the early church measured its own effectiveness with, we will realize that we are actually way more effective at bringing about heaven than we realize. That you are more effective at bringing about heaven than we realize. And if we all do our own part uh, to the best of our abilities, then before we know it, the world around us will begin to better reflect heaven on earth. So let's dive into these. Acts 2 verses 42 through 47 say this. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. Now, first things first, I want you to notice the pattern that we talked about earlier, right? So one, the church hears the good news of Jesus, right? So we're told right away that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles were teaching about the good news of Jesus and what Jesus had done for them and the resurrection of Jesus. So they devoted themselves to, to this teaching and they heard the good news of Jesus, right? Then the, the second thing we said in the pattern is that the church modifies their life accordingly. And I love this text. It says all believers were united and shared everything. I mean, they, that's really a different lifestyle than we're used to, right? And it says they would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. And every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. I mean, the way they responded to hearing the good news really uh, is clear to see, right? So the third part of the pattern is that the world experiences a glimpse of heaven. And and, and here's, you can see it through many ways, right? Uh, people didn't have any needs. Uh, you can assume that people weren't hungry. People that had all had a home, all that kind of stuff. But my favorite verse in this is where it says they praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone, right? Everyone was able to see and experience God's goodness. And that to me is a glimpse of heaven. And then at the very end, the very last verse, right? The, this is the numerical growth part. The very last verse says, they, the Lord added daily to the community those who are being saved, right? So over and over again, we see this pattern take place, right? A whole bunch of stuff happens. A whole bunch of stuff is celebrated before the numerical growth even matters in our text. So what is it about this text other than the numerical growth that points to the effectiveness among the early church, right? What is it here that, that we can use as a metric other than just numbers? So here it is. They were on the same page regarding the things that they valued. Let me say that one more time. 
they were on the same page regarding the things that they valued. The first thing we are told is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching by selling their possessions and goods and distributing the proceeds to all. Now, while the apostles would have taught about many different things, one of the main teachings of the church has always been to care for the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely. And this would have been the equivalent of a math teacher reminding their students that you shouldn't hate your fellow classmates. It may not have been the main teaching every day, but it was still one of the main, it was still one of the teachings, right? And as far as the classroom is concerned, every time a student gets frustrated and wants to hit a classmate but refrains, that means that the student learned from their teacher. The same is true for the early church. The fact that they were selling everything they had, put it in a shared pile, and then distributed the proceeds to anyone who had a need is a perfect example of how they were all on the same page regarding the things they valued. See, the church, the early church, also devoted itself to fellowship. Now, by spending much of their time in the temple, uh, they, they were able to devote themselves to fellowship. Now, for starters, in many ways, going to the temple was a lot like going to church on a Sunday morning. Uh, think about it. You can't go to church without catching up with people, checking in with them, and doing life together. It's just a natural part of gathering in the same place with people you don't see every day. But it's important to understand that going to the temple included a lot more than just talking in the hallways, quote-unquote. Going to the temple included gathering there for major holidays, animals being sold and slaughtered, and sacrifices being made. And it was in these gatherings that life happened, that fellowship happened. So the early church also devoted itself to the breaking of bread, mostly by breaking bread at home. Now, breaking bread was so common among the early church that they would do this multiple times a day from the comfort of their home sometimes. And basically, they lived out this value by sharing meals together and constantly remembering, without the need for a priest or a pastor or a clergy, what Jesus had done for them. Now, finally, the early church devoted itself to prayers. And they did this by eating their food with glad and generous heart, is what Scripture tells us. Now, before you tell me that this might be a bit of a stretch, I want you to hear me out. Eating food was always connected to prayer. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 10 in the CEB says this, You will eat, you will be satisfied, and you will bless the Lord your God in the wonderful land that he's given to you. In other words, once you have eaten and gotten your fill, thank God for it. Another way to think of this is to pray and give thanks to God after every single meal. Let me give you another example of prayer and eating happening at the same time. Before the 5,000 are fed in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, we're told that Jesus takes the five loaves of bread and the two fish, and before they multiply, Jesus prays over them. The exact same thing happens in the following chapter when Jesus feeds the 4,000. In the Gospel of Luke, Mark, and Matthew, we're told that Jesus blesses the bread before sharing it with the disciples at the last meal, and then blesses the cup before doing the same. See, for the early church, sitting around a table eating food together required a time for prayer. Now, I'm positive that this was not the only time that the early church spent time in prayer. There were hundreds of other ways that that prayer would have happened among the church. But I get the sense that because their meals were shared with glad and generous hearts, that the early church had all agreed that at the very least, prayer would be practiced during meals. And from what our scripture tells us, it seems like they were living out this value as well. See, one of the first things that made the early church effective was that they had a set of values, and the whole church lived into them. They all bought into them. It wasn't about numbers. It wasn't about growth. It wasn't about the amount of of Sunday school classes or small groups. The early church was effective because the whole community knew what their values were and actually lived them out. 
And when we as a church can do this, when the church can know what it values and lives those values out, the world begins to look a little bit more like heaven every single day. Unfortunately, what I tend to see in churches is that we post up our values on the wall and then never talk about them or never live them out again. So Becca Gardner, the founder of the nonprofit Hands Producing Hope, many of you might know her as the owner of the Hope Shop, uh, which I've got to tell you, if you haven't been, it's here in Baton Rouge. I highly recommend because the work that they're doing is truly incredible. See, Hands Producing Hope, this nonprofit, it creates a safe and empowering work environment, predominantly for refugee women who are seeking to provide a better life for their families. So what they do is that they provide resources for these women to make crafts, and then those crafts get sold by the Hope Shop, which in turn helps provide financial means to these women. It's really an amazing nonprofit and amazing ministry. And here's where this ministry came out of. The first time Becca came to Mid-City, I asked her what inspired her to do the work that she does, and her answer has stuck with me ever since. She said, I just want people to be empowered, to know that they are valued and that their dreams matter. Now, these are some of the values that Becca holds high, empowering people, helping people recognize their value and helping people achieve their dreams. These are values in her life. And she lives into these values every single day through her nonprofit and the Hope Shop. Becca has created so many opportunities for women all around the world to be empowered, to feel valued and to live into their dreams. From selling crafts from women around the world to working with local refugee women to teach them artisan skills, even to providing educational opportunities, Becca has diligently lived these values out. And as she's done that, a whole group of people have rallied around her, from staff to board members to sponsors to so many other people who want to empower these values as they come to life. Now, when people live out the uh, the things that they value, The world can better reflect heaven every single day. And Becca is a great example of that. See, what makes her and Hans Producing Hope effective and successful, it's not that she has a shop that has grown. It's not that they have helped more and more people around the world every year. It's not that their income has continued to grow. And it's not even that they provide more and more resources to the community. What makes Becca and Hans Producing Hope so effective is that just like the early church did, They were intentional and they are intentional about living into their values. That is the true measure of effectiveness. By the way, moment of personal privilege, if you're interested in helping Hands Producing Hope, they're hosting a gala on October 20th uh, of 2023. And so I'm going to invite you to go to our, our, um, I'm going to invite you to go to their website and you'll be able to find a link to to either donate there or to buy a ticket. It'll be uh, all the money that you give will go to help continuing uh, to help these values come to life. Okay, so so let me ask you, what things do you value? Do you value compassion for others? Do you value a world in which all people are respected equally? Do you value kindness and generosity and gratitude? Do you value access to affordable food? Do you value nature? Do you value access to great education? What do you value? What is it that you value? Whatever it is, I want to challenge you to find a way to live those values out. It doesn't matter if the impact may seem small. Live into the things that you value. And when you do that, then it doesn't matter if your life and work ever become a worldwide movement or not. When we live into our values, it doesn't matter if fame comes our way or not. When we live into our values, recognition doesn't dictate whether we are doing a good job or not. 
When we live into our values, numerical growth doesn't become the measuring stick. See, when we live into our values, the only thing that can define our success and our effectiveness is whether or not we are fully living into those values or not. So let me ask you again, what do you value in this world? And how can you live those values out? If you can focus on those two things, then you will know that your life has been successful and it's effective because if you live those values out, you will notice that the world around you will begin to better reflect heaven on earth more and more and more every single day. And that is the true measurement of effectiveness and success. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. If you'd like to dive deeper, visit midcity.church slash sermoncast to find a home sheet that goes along with this message. On the home sheet, you'll find scriptures, questions to wrestle with, and a challenge that goes along with this sermon cast. I want to invite you to support our ministry here at Mid-City Church by giving today. To give, text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the phone number 225-307-0662. Thanks and see you next week.